The T. Gale Show, ESPNHawaii.com, and I am delighted. It's been many years since I've had a chance to sit down with our guest today, George Fuller. George has had a, a long history in the publishing business and as a writer, and uh, flagship publishing is his company now. But first of all, George, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, I think it had been, I, I saw you and Bob May. We're out at Wyclow Beach Resort on the Kohala Coast at... Um, at the Waikoloa Beach and Kings Clubhouse, which is a full clubhouse. They've got a wonderful golf shop, and we're sitting in the My Grill, uh, a new restaurant. I think it's about a year now with Chef Alan Hess. And Eating we've got some potato sweet potato fries. fries in front of us and, and a nice, uh, pleasant surprise as George's wife, Landry Fuller, joined us. And I've been wanting to talk with Landry a while. She's, she's the editor of the uh, North Hawaii News. And, wow, what a wonderful job you're doing, Landry. So this is a nice surprise that, that, that you joined us, and thank you for saying that you'll you'll jump in with our talk story. So, uh, George, you know, I've always had a, a high regard for your work, work. I mean, many years ago, you you had uh, some magazines when it was only print, you know, mm. when we none of us even dreamed of digital, digital and everything else. Digital was not a word at that point. But you always had a very elegant style to everything that you did, and obviously that continues. And, and I just Thank uh, you. I want to I talk about how you watched that evolve and how you have stayed with that as it's all evolved into digital. Because hmm. so many people that were in the, the magazine business didn't evolve with it, and they aren't around anymore. It's true. As you, as you know. It's so true. Maybe talk a little bit about how you, when you've, uh, you know, you've, you've been a prolific writer. You've <laughs> written three guidebooks. Three uh, guidebooks to golf in Hawaii. Yeah. Plus about six other books. So. Yeah, I found an old email from uh, 2008. Oh, did you? And it was about a book that you had written called, uh, what was the name of that? I Golf, Therefore I Am. I Golf, Therefore I Am. Yeah. That's right. That was, a, that was a fun book of short stories, uh, humor, mainly golf humor. You know how you read um, some of those guys in the back of Golf Magazine or, you know, uh, Dan Jenkins, that kind of humor and uh, so this was a book of collected stories that I wrote with just an eye towards the funny side of golf. I think the book was actually called I Golf, Therefore I Am Nuts. And uh, <laughs> so we shortened it a little bit there. But uh, golf sure, sure is one of those sports that can um, thrill you and drive you crazy at the same time. Well, well let's go back. Uh, back to the way back uh, when you were a kid. Were you a golfer? I mean, did you, you know, when you got a, graduated from college, tell us a little bit about your background. When you first thought, I want to be a writer, or how that all evolved, because you've been doing this a long time. Oh, as a writer, far longer than be as a golf writer for sure and far longer than a golfer too i started writing really when i was uh just a kid i did a little family newsletter for my my household i went interviewed the guy who did the garden and interviewed my dad and interviewed my sister and just sort of, you know what's going on and what age would you have been then i was probably about seven or eight okay you know and I, I look back at it and I often attribute it to the fact that every day, morning and evening, uh, we grew up in L.A., uh, my dad was sitting in his big leather armchair reading the L.A. Times in the morning and the L.A. Herald Examiner in the afternoon. And I figured that maybe the best way to communicate with this guy was to write, you know, and have my own newspaper so I could communicate with my dad. Really? That was an element of... 
I don't how know. you would connect with your dad. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I just always had the knack and the urge to communicate in writing. I uh, started, you know, really with that little newsletter, but in high school in L.A., did a lot of creative writing, poetry, uh, actually graduated from University of California at Santa Cruz, the banana slugs, go slugs, uh, with a degree in creative writing and journalism both. Uh, so, What were you hoping to do with your writing at that stage? Because I love talking about people's backstory, <laughs> how their lives you know, move and evolve, and if people are, if they roll with it, sometimes their lives turn out way beyond what they expected. Yeah, um, I didn't really have much of a vision for what are you going to do with a degree in, in creative writing. Uh, there really isn't much you can do with one except for teach. I really wasn't that into teaching. So didn't want to go that route. But while in college, I did start a publishing company called Jazz Press, J-A-Z-Z. Uh, published about 10 books of poems, short stories, fiction, things like that, of all the writers uh, who were around Santa Cruz at the time, and there were some good ones, and people that I had taken classes with and just admired. And so my tribute to them was to put together books of their work. And uh, so I, I just always had that knack for publishing and writing. And uh, I didn't really give a whole lot of thought to what I was going to do with a creative writing degree. And so after I graduated, I my first job was uh, in a deli. <laughs> so, so it, it wasn't writing uh, for a local newspaper or something? I did writing for a newspaper as an internship in college, but, you know... Nobody hires you out of college as a newspaper guy, so I was—I uh, learned how to run a printing press okay. in college, as well as publish books. And like Jean-Paul Marat, you know, I was the guy with the press, and the guy who's got the printing press has got the power of the word. And so, to me, it was just all about communicating uh, the depth of the human experience whether it was poetry, whether it was short stories, uh, whatever that experience was. And, and so that was my background. It was just publishing, writing, and doing it for the love of it. And what I'm hearing, George Fuller, and now I get a little kind of a helicopter flyover of, of uh, how you approached all this, was that you weren't just the writer. You were going to be the publisher, know how that printing press worked, know how you know, all the different technical aspects of getting it to print. It's an amazing thing, and I actually, after the deli, which lasted about a week and a half uh, at Zuki's Deli in Santa Monica, um, I did get jobs as a pressman, uh, usually an overnight pressman at some local print shops to fill in their overflow work while during the day I was trying to sell stories to newspapers and magazines. So I made a living, you know, running a press and uh, tried to build my career. And slowly but surely, as you get more writing credits and you get more stories published, uh, you get a little bit more knowledge of the business, credibility with editors. And uh, finally I got hired uh, after having written for the Monterey Life magazine and the Monterey Herald. I was actually the jazz writer for the Herald, which was a part-time job, too, up in Monterey, Pebble Beach, Monterey area. Uh, I got hired as the editor of Monterey Life. 
and after that first magazine editorship, you're kind of set because then you've got your credential and your resume. And so, you know, the evolution from, you know, college student slash revolutionary poet to printer to writer freelance to editor has just evolved from there. And I've kind of, I'm the same guy I was then. Uh, just with a whole lot more words uh, in in my portfolio. Right, but also uh, fast forward to 2016, publishing some beautiful magazines, which you're with your publishing company now called Flagship Publishing, and we'll talk about that because you're, you're <clears throat> still in the, the the business of publishing beautiful magazines. I'm looking at four of them here, and you know the covers and everything. Mm. I love print. Mm. You know, people say print is going out. No, I love my West Hawaii today early in the morning, first thing in the morning. Mm. I love newspapers. I gather them wherever I see them. And <clears throat> what I like about what you're doing is you, you've got it online, you've got it in print, but you've upheld that, that quality. One of the lines I saw on your website <clears throat> was that you focused on creating well-written, beautifully designed products that meet the needs of both consumer and marketing. You've always done that. Mm. You've always, whatever work you've ever done that I've seen mm. has always been well-written, but most of all, beautifully mm. designed. And mm. that's the thing that's always stood out about your work when, I, when I've seen it over the years. And I hadn't seen you for probably 10, 15 <laughs> years or something. And I saw you when Bob May was here last that's year. Right. And we all got together for a little press conference with Bob. And that's so right. so let's let you eat some of these wonderful uh, yeah. sweet potatoes sure. from uh, uh, Alan, Chef Alan Hess and, and uh, the manager um, uh, Howard Kent. And everybody's just been so friendly here at my grill at the Waikoloa Beach Resort Golf Clubhouse. Let's uh, talk with Landry a little bit. Uh, Landry, I love what you're doing with the North Hawaii News. Um, again, every morning, when I woke up this morning, it wasn't outside yet. Of course, that was about 4.30, but about 5.30, my paper was there. I just love starting the, the day with the paper. But North Hawaii News is, has evolved so much from when it was just an insert for the North Hawaii area. And I used to say, put it in everybody's paper. You know, and I'm so glad now that it comes in West Hawaii today. So tell us, give us our, our listeners that, you know, that I know read it, but many that don't, uh, the, the, your, your background and some background in North Hawaii news and what you're, what you're doing with it. It's wonderful. It's great to be, you know, a member of the community up in Waimea. And, you know, the North Hawaii area here on the island you know, has such a wide variety of topics to cover. And it's great. Uh, the North Hawaii News, although it was an independent weekly newspaper, about a year ago there were new owners uh, for both the daily newspaper and our weekly newspaper. And it gave us the opportunity to figure out how we could best serve all of the readers on the West Hawaii side of the island. So just about three months ago, we decided to make North Hawaii News a twice-weekly section within West Hawaii today. So it not only gave us more to write about, more opportunities to cover different things going on in the region, but we also expanded our readership, you know, by several thousand uh, people here living here on the west side. So it's, it gives me more opportunities to look for news that's going on, um, people in our community, 
um, and what they're up to. And it's, it's very exciting, so we're grateful. Well, as a reader and as a member of the community, I think it's wonderful because we all need to know about each other's community. It doesn't mean we need to go spend all our time there, but to be aware of what's going on at North Hawaii Hospital or down at Kona Hospital or down at the, you know, the schools in Kona. And, and I just love all the local news. I think it's really important. I, I As a realtor, I've given the West Hawaii Today as a gift to new homeowners owners, you know, <laughs> they might say, oh, this, this isn't happening. I'll say, no, you need to read our West Hawaii Today every day. There's a lot of people making a lot of effort, doing a lot of wonderful things, and, and I love the coverage of local sports and just being aware mm-hmm. of what's going on in the community. I think it's a really important ingredient, but give me a little, uh, how, where did you two meet? How did you meet? And I, I love... Because I, you know, I took me. I, I didn't make the connection when I saw your byline as the editor for the longest time that that, that you two were together. Oh gosh, it it's a golf story actually. Um, I don't know uh, if you remember a gentleman named Rick Reese. You know Rick. Remember Rick? Rick was a assistant general manager for the Hyatt Waikoloa when it first opened. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, Rick uh, was a dynamic uh, young man at the time, went on to be the general manager of the Hyatt at Poipu, the Grand Hyatt at Poipu. And as his career evolved, he moved to the West Coast uh, at that time, which was probably mid-90s. Uh, I was also living in San Francisco after stints in Hilton Head and Guam and elsewhere doing my publishing. Um, and I just stayed in touch with Rick because he was such a good guy. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm over here. We're just opening a brand new uh, golf resort called Cordoval, oh, where wow. they just okay, had sure. the U.S. Women's Open. We've got friends that remembers out there. And Joe Root, was that's where Joe, Joe Root, Root was. Joe Root was there, yeah. exactly. So uh, I was uh, invited to the grand opening of the resort and, uh, by Rick, and he said, oh, I've got to um, get you on the press list. Uh, call this girl Landry. And so, for the grand opening? For the grand opening okay. of Court of All. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's where I met Landry. She was in charge of the press, and I was the press. <laughs> and, and were you involved with Court of All at the time? Yes. With, okay. Yes, so that, I was representing it from an agency in Los Angeles, and then I met George on at the PR event, and that's history from there. Well, isn't that nice that you said being in the in the same uh, line of uh, what you love to do, right. the same line of passion, you know, writing and that's caring right. about each other. I love it. So let's let's go through a few things here. You know, Monterey Life. When you said you published a magazine called Jazz, so of course Monterey, the Monterey Jazz Festival. Yeah. And are you into music? Do you play an oh, instrument? Yeah. I don't play. But you uh, love music. I love it. Okay. I, I, I like it a lot more than I can actually play it, but uh, I play a little blues harmonica when when okay. I have enough tequila. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was the jazz writer for the Monterey Herald and got to cover the jazz festival uh, backstage for quite a number of years, interviewed a lot of the musicians and got to know some of them fairly well, one of whom was great story was um, Dizzy Gillespie. So uh, when I was living in Honolulu, Dizzy was coming to play at the Shell, and I was writing for Midweek at the time. Okay. And they asked me to do a cover story on Dizzy. And uh, so I, I called up his agent, and I said, hey, I've got a story. And she put me in touch with Dizzy, and um, 
we did an interview on the phone for about an hour and a half, and he said, man, you really know what you're talking about there. You know, I've done a lot, okay. of, uh, a lot of interviewing or a lot of researching on Diz. And, and at the end of the interview, I said, Dizzy, what are, you, uh, what are you doing for dinner before the show? You know, and I expect him to say, oh, you know, we got plans. He said, no, what are you doing? Why don't you come and join me? And so I got together uh, a group of people, Rick Carroll and uh, what's his name, Ron Fields, who had Fields Wines okay. and so forth. And I didn't tell them what we were doing, but they were all big jazz fans who were friends of mine, Ron Hudson, who was a photographer. And uh, just said, hey, come on down to the Hawaii Prince Hotel, 7 o'clock, meet me in the captain's room. And they show up, and, and there I am with Dizzy, and it's before his concert at the Shell that night, and everybody's mind is blown. And he was just such a gracious, loving man. Uh, we, we got done with dinner. And he said, why don't you guys come with me in my limo over to the shell? So we all piled into Dizzy's limo and drove over there. Rick Carroll was carrying his horn case, and it was just the thrill of everybody's life because everybody was big jazz fans. But uh, then I saw Dizzy a few years later at Monterey Jazz Festival, and uh, he remembered me, and we got to talking again. But, yeah, I mean, between golf and jazz, those are two of my big passions. And I've been lucky enough to uh, meet some of the uh, really greats in both fields. Well, I'm glad we're doing a little backstory because I had no clue that you had that background with uh, the Jazz Festival. And you tossed a name out that you might know, uh, uh, Bill Miner. Yeah, with I know the Bill, real Bill well. is my uh, very dear cousin. Oh, is he? Isn't he fantastic? He wrote oh, the my. book on the on the Jazz Festival, and he's a, a musician in Monterey, and he's very eclectic, isn't he? I mean, he is really talented. I know Bill and Betty for years and years and years. So. Very That's special amazing. people. Yeah, right? Talk about it. unique individuals oh, huh? living their own life, uh, you know, oh, marching good. to the different parade for sure. Very talented writer. Well, Bill. it's George Fuller we're talking with. Uh, it's the Emily T. Gale Show on ESPNHawaii.com. And we thought we were going to just talk golf, but I knew we weren't going to just talk golf <laughs> if we got into some of the backstory. But, you know, the three, tell me about the three guidebooks you wrote. So, first of all, 19, was it 1977 when you started writing for the Monterey? Magazine, kind of when you got into that area of uh, California, as far as getting to know golf courses, and of course yeah, you grew up in the area. I grew up around there, so you know my dad had a set of clubs in the uh, garage when I was a kid, but he didn't really play that much, and so I never really picked up the game very much. I was more into other sports, basketball and whatnot. Um, and really, you know, I got into writing and publishing more as a travel writer. And so when I was living out here, I got a call. I was in Honolulu. It was probably 86, 87. I got a call from a friend of mine in San Francisco uh, who ran a press called Foghorn Press. They did guidebooks to California, golf, and, and other guidebooks. And uh, she said, her name was Vicki. She said, uh, I want to do a guidebook to Hawaii golf. Can you write it? And I said, well, sure. What does it entail? And she says, well, you got to go and play every golf course in the state and uh, write, write them up. You know, what's the yardage? You know, who's the, who's the pro? You know, what's the history? Who's the architect? All that stuff. So I did. I undertook the research to go and play every single golf course in the state public, private, army, you know, military. How many are there? You there were, at that time, there were 82. Okay. 
And so I played 82 courses. And you were, you liked the game by that time. I, I was not good. But you liked it. But I liked it. That's all it, it takes. And I played them all. I wrote the guidebook. And it just was a snowball from there because suddenly I was the expert, okay. in air quotes, in golf in Hawaii. And so I started getting phone calls from Golf Magazine who wanted a story on Hawaii Golf or Golf Digest or some of the other ones. And, and I'm going, wow, this is amazing. And slowly but surely, my career went from travel writing to more golf, more golf, more golf. And then finally one day, um, I forget where I was. I was at Wailai, and I was just getting done with a round with my buddy Chris Hemeter Jr., who was here on island okay. this week, and we just played here at King's Course. Uh, his dad built the Hyatt. His dad built the Hyatt. And uh, I saw a magazine at Wailai that was just a little rack, and magazines in it called Western Links Magazine. And I said, oh, there's a new outlet. So I wrote to the guys, and I said, hey, I'm out here in Hawaii, uh, can do stories for you. And they said, fantastic, we need somebody. So I wrote for Western Links for about, I don't know, a year, and went to submit my latest story one day, and they said, oh, our editor just uh, uh, quit. And uh, I said, well, do you need somebody? They go, well, yeah, we do need somebody. (laughs) Because I was an editor, and I at that time was writing about golf and New California and all the West, and they had Southern Links as well. So I moved to Hilton Head as the editor of Western Links magazine, and then we merged the two, Southern Links and, and Western Links, into Links magazine, the best of golf. Which was one of the best of the magazines out yeah. there in the, the golf publishing yeah. uh, at that time. So, what, gosh, I, you know, to our listeners, whether you're a parent or you're someone, because I get all kinds of... Uh, request from people about uh, they want to be a writer and I always say I'm just write something send it into somebody <laughs> you know just just do it, it there's know. not it's there's not a you know hush puppy school of journalism way that things work no. you just got to do just I love the story and I think it's a these are the kind of stories that I think are really encouraging to other people to realize but, that but let it evolve and and it does it does and I'll tell you this though I mean getting into writing in the first place and particularly in journalism you get an awful lot of rejection and people will go oh you've not published anywhere and so in their minds you're not that good or you're not accomplished and so for me what I did was um, I joined a softball team we had a media league in Santa Cruz and I put together a softball team, and we joined the media league. And I got to know all the editors and other people in the industry by beating their butts on the softball field, and they didn't like that much. So, but when I would show up at their office and say, hey, I've got this idea, they would know who you were, yeah. and they know you're good in softball, so maybe we'll give them a shot. And it was just, you know, it's that kind of uh, persistence and serendipity, I think, that really takes... Uh, that it's what it takes to make it as a writer. And I think also just being open to all the opportunities and possibilities, if you are open to all the opportunities and possibilities, but you got to be open to it instead of thinking it's a linear line to your dream job, you know, because it, it's not. So I, I love that. And so, Landry, tell me, I mean, Cordoval, you were uh, involved in the opening of Cordoval. Didn't they just have the U.S. Women's Open there? They did. And then last year they had the... Um, 
Oh, what was it? What, uh, oh, well, they have the uh, the PGA tournament has been there for the last few years. I forget what tournament that is, the but fries, the fries, the right, fries. right. So uh, certainly a, a, a golf course that when they opened up had that vision that they were going to be host to some major tournaments because I think it's is that Discovery. No, is it? Yeah, it yeah, was it was. Originally, no. Okay, but uh, were you a golfer at the time? And so, no, you're you were the PR person. Yes, just the PR person. Um, it was really just a special event, and and soon thereafter, our, the agency I worked for in LA actually stopped representing Cordoval, but it was the connection that brought George and I together. So we continued to stay in touch after that and soon thereafter he started to be my golf coach <laughs> and introduced me to the sport and do you like the sport i do, do you, okay I do. I, and you know i've learned because we from thereafter we started playing pretty regularly at least once a week and it you know while you're working in that stressful uh corporate world um you know, you kind of put that same serious attention into your golf game. But, you know, after moving to Hawaii, here on the Big Island, you take a step back and you look at your different priorities and rearrange them. And I, to me, golf is much more of a, something to enjoy um, playing. And not I don't play as seriously anymore as I once was, and I enjoy it a whole lot more. Of course, you can do something seriously and still have a good time that's at it. True. You know, that's, that's something we we learn about in life all the time, don't that's we? True. Every day about everything that we are that we're doing. So, with that in mind, I mean, you covered the um, the uh, the Grand Slam at Poipu. Yeah. I happen to have Tiger's lay that he won oh, when really? he won that first one when he was on oh. his way to out the clubhouse. He threw his lay down on the table, and I picked it up. And I, I'm a saver of everything. I still have that oh, lay. Funny, but funny. that goes back. I mean, that was a real era of golf in, in Hawaii. And, of course, I think that, you know, the Big Island, we've all had so many up and opportunities up and down the coast here to be around the players like Jack Nicklaus and Arnold mm. Palmer. And that's how I got into all of this. I I was always uh, taking people to radio shows to be interviewed and thought, wow, I can be I can do that better than them. I guess <laughs> you know? I know about golf. I grew up playing golf. I tried for the LPGA. I'm just like everybody else. I'm out on that driving range. Still trying to get my game, you know, and it play takes it. A lifetime. Yeah, and go through all these different stages that you do, but yeah. you, you kind of never give it up. But it, I come out here. We're at Waikoloa Beach Resort. I'm with George Fuller, who is the has a publishing company called um, Flag Flagship Custom Publishing. But long time travel writer, golf writer, jazz writer. We're talking about all the different ways that you take something you love to do and you can end up having it in kind of a holistic way that you live your life. It doesn't have to be one way and he's really he's really followed his passion, but today he's publishing beautiful magazines. Let's talk a little bit about how you've evolved into the way publishing has evolved because again, we, we know like even Golf Week, a lot of the magazines struggled getting to their place. Golf Week was the print magazine, right? Mm-hmm. And it had some trouble getting itself into a digital mode and, and everything. So talk a little bit about how, I mean, I'm looking at who's part of your team, and you spent some time working now uh, with the L.A. Times doing a travel oh. magazine. Was uh, it? So it looks well, like a lot of the people that you have on your team, you know, of the, the publishing company that you're the owner of are people that you've worked with over the years and you've pulled together and you are supportive. Yeah, well, for sure. You know, I think a couple things there. One is that the LA Times, they they were going through a lot of the same uh, 
downs, I guess. I was going to say ups and downs, but it was mainly downs that a lot of the major publishing companies were in 2005, 6, 7, 8 through there. And they were struggling to find new sources of revenue to their traditional model of a daily newspaper with classified and, and display advertising. So they um, were looking to create some magazine products that would bring in some advertisers and some revenue that they didn't traditionally go after, such as the golf industry and the golf courses and things like that. So with my background in golf publishing, they uh, asked me to come in and create some publications for them, which I did. Uh, one was called Golf Living, uh, the LA Times Golf Living in 2005, I guess it was. We published that for them for a few years. And then another management group came in and decided, oh, let's cut all the extra expenses okay. out of this company. And so they would cut all the magazines that the other company that was owning it before wanted to try to, to create revenue with. And so I offered to purchase the magazine from them because it was doing pretty well. It just wasn't doing well in L.A. Times you know, jargon. In other words, if you're not making a million dollars a year in profit, then it's not worth doing. But for me, if you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in profit, well, that's pretty darn good. So yes, I bought that magazine from them. Now, I think um, the evolution into digital publishing was difficult and is difficult for a number of reasons. One is that, you know, I... I think that there's too many digital magazines nowadays, and the readership levels for digital magazines is poor. It's just not good. If you publish a magazine to uh, you know a million people, then you might typically get a 10% open rate. You know, whereas with a print magazine, you get it in the mail, you know you're going to look through it because it's uh, it's tangible. It's it's something you can hold in your hands and enjoy the photography and the smell of print. So to me, I, I think that I think that the move into digital is overrated. I think that the move into social media and things like that is quite valuable from a marketing standpoint and a marketing tool. But the reason I stick with print as a as a compliment, I call it a 360-degree approach to publishing, is we'll do print, we'll do digital, we'll do social, we'll do, in some cases, we'll do video, uh, and other products like that is because print is still something that, you know, I do a lot of in-room magazines for resort hotels, Biltmore, Arizona Biltmore, or the Westin Kierland, or this is a real estate magazine from for, Los Cabos. Huh? From Los Cabos. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, they're just right. gorgeous and covers. So, and you know, if you're looking to sell somebody a multi-million-dollar home in Cabo San Lucas, they're not going to look online and go, "Hey, let's go buy a couple yeah. million-dollar home." They're going to look through a magazine and they're going to say, "Gosh, what a gorgeous photograph! What an incredible place to go!" And they're going to savor the experience. And so print really has a place there because it allows a certain luxury of reading, a luxury of readership that online products do not. I, I'm very frustrated when I read uh, on a newspaper online, for example. You know, you get the same information in every single newspaper nowadays because there's no attention span to, the, to what they're writing. And so, you know, I'm a believer in the long read. 
I'm a believer in taking your time when you read. I'd, I'll still I'll spend five years reading Moby Dick. You know, I mean, to me, it's just about the 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 beauty of language, and I don't think you have the same appreciation for the beauty of language in digital products as you do in print. And so I think that there's still room for print. I, I think our company proves it. We're successful with print as well as with digital. And so I don't think you can say print is dead and gone or that it's ever going to be dead and gone. I think that there's uh, maybe 50 years from now, you know, there won't be those of us who are 50 and 60 years old who are going, gosh, I still love print. But to me, it's it's beautiful. It's like driving an old Corvette or something. I, I think there will be. And you say it's the language that it's in it. But I'm looking at your, you know, the, your magazines right here. Here's Troon, Golf and Travel, yeah. Splendor in the Rockies. Well, what makes you want the words feel so good and stuff when you're reading them is just your presentation is absolutely yep. beautiful. Yep. You don't see that much anymore like that. So let's talk a little bit. I mean, uh, integrity, this one, the Biltmore is um, the official publication of the Arizona Biltmore and beautiful cover shot of gardens. And it, yep. it, I love it. I, I really love it. So your 360 degree approach to flagship custom pr- publishing and I like to let's uh, talk about how the golf industry mm. they've had a hard time adapting to this you know I think and yeah. even we'll talk about the Big Island Resorts because you, you did you recently did the uh, wonderful publication for Mauna Kea Resort for their 50th anniversary right. I mean you know they people love those hard copy coffee table type well, books but in the print thing in your um, on your website you say um you know, a prevailing wisdom uh, several years ago declaring print publications a thing of a past. And as you said earlier, that you you disagree. You know, it's the most deserved medium. Well, I even, if I find something online, I print it out. <laughs> I still <laughs> right. like that hard right. copy. Exactly. I, I rarely will sit there and just read it. I mean, I, I saw on my printer the other day how many pages I had printed out. You know, I was like, no yeah. way. But I save the stuff. I keep files on things. And, right. and I love it. So let's go through some of the things you've done and talk about how it also relates to some of the people you're working with on the Big Island. Mm-hmm. The, these beautiful resorts, they're, they're world-renowned resorts, Mauna Kea Resort. Right. Manalani Resort, Waikoloa Beach Resort, you know, Kohana Niki, Hualalai. Heck, I remember when last time I saw you, I think you were real involved with Kona Village at the time, mm, which be. was the premier resort, you know, yeah. on, the, on the Big Island. So you've been doing this a long time, but as you've evolved this, have you also seen yourself kind of being a mentor, some of the resorts and some of the things that they can do mm. with their, or maybe not mentor, but like when you did the 50th anniversary book mm. for Mauna Kea Resort, Talk a little bit about that process, where the photographs came from. Oh. Did you make the decisions of what you were going to present? And oh, those are those books uh, are just phenomenal to research and write, and hopefully to read. Uh, you know, and and all the resorts have similar fans, if you will. Mauna Kea Beach Hotel being one of the older properties, you know, in terms of just fifty years. The the resort, luckily, had saved so much material from over those 50 years that researching it and then looking at old menus and, and even finding people in the community, we found uh, Donald Case. You know, Donald had worked there since before the resort opened. He worked for Mr. Rockefeller up at the uh, the White House up in... The farm or the cabin? 
Yeah, well, what's now the Jacaranda Inn okay. used to be the oh. Parker Ranch General Manager's house, and then Rockefeller bought it, and and then uh, that's where Donald started working for for Mr. Rockefeller. So he's been with the resort for fifty plus years. So that's amazing, and so many of the employees had been there for forty plus years. So we got a lot of great stories. We had a lot of research. The photography, what's the Kona Historical Society, or you know any source we could find. We actually put out a call on social media for people to send us their memorabilia from the early 60s, uh, the 70s. Mm-hmm. And we got a really good response. Worked very closely with the hotel, with Audi and uh, Cha-Cha and with the other members who are currently there to uh, just, what do, what do we want to publish here? And, and yes, they took my lead on some things and I took their lead on a lot of things and together we put together a book where I would uh, present them a chapter and say, this is what I think this chapter should be after getting their input. And they would say, that's right, that's good, that's well done, you know, or, or let's add this to it, or let's add that to it. So when it was done and published, I think everybody was very happy and proud uh, to have done it. We're actually going to be doing a similar book for Waikoloa Beach Resort uh, next year that will be coming out. Oh, so. that's a great year. So let's just uh, move down the coast a little bit. Uh, sure. The Napaka News that the Waikoloa Beach Resort publishes, which is a wonderful hard copy, um, I guess you'd say newsletter. Newsletter, yeah. Uh, but very, very comprehensive of all the things that are going on at Waikoloa Beach Resort. George Fuller with uh, Flagship Custom Publishing, and he's been a writer, travel writer, jazz writer, golf writer for many, many years, and, and his wife, Landry Fuller, who's the editor of the North Hawaii News. He does a, a beautiful job, and it's so great that it's twice a week. It's published in the West Hawaii today now, yeah. and that was some nice stories that you had today about the how up in the, you know, things that, that you've been, and I like that you do the same thing. You get in pretty deep. You get in the very extensive uh, stories in your North Hawaii news. Talk about that, because George said earlier he likes the kind of the long read. So is that kind of a, a style that you like as well, to get into the, uh, the backstory of things a little more? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many people in, in our communities that are third, fourth, fifth generations, and they have stories to tell, and it's really just discovering who's going to be the next profile, you know, in, in the newspaper, how the, the role they've played in the community, um, what they can share, the history of and the culture are what, you know, I think a lot of the residents don't want to ever uh, lose. And it, this is a great way of preserving that, uh, recording that, and really hearing their perspective on how it was here when they were a child, um, what they've, how they've seen it change, what they want to remain in our community. So it's fascinating just meeting these different people in the different areas of the region. Well, you do such a nice job of telling the stories, and I think it's really important, too, because with so many people moving in here, it's so easy for people not to realize there have been a whole lot of people before them that were doing things and made things happen and have really uh, set the foundation for the, the wonderful uh, community, that, community that we live in. Well, you know, let me say this. So the resorts along the coast here, and starting at Mauna Kea, have contributed to much of what she's saying. They've contributed to changing the culture of the Big Island in really significant ways. 
when Rockefeller first came here and sugar was in decline and there were really not many jobs and there particularly were not many jobs for women on the islands and suddenly the resorts came in and there was opportunity for people that had been displaced by sugarcane leaving or uh, you know had never been working outside of the home and so you know they were telling stories about how you know they in 1964 there was a bunch of uh, you know junkers in the parking lot and in 1965 there was a bunch of new cars in the parking lot and what that did was it allowed people some economic uh, movement upwards in their in, in mobility because the resorts came in to replace the economy that had had been gone is it all been great you know I think it has been in a lot of ways and at the same time that you have to retain the culture of the place you know that's what you were saying and what the newspaper is able to do really well but these resorts if you look at all of them Mauna Kea, uh, Manalani, Hapuna, even, you know, here at Waikoloa, you have these cultural programs, you've got uh, historians, you've got people that are doing a lot of really great work to make sure that the experience that a guest has, a visitor to the island has, is as authentic as it possibly can be. And they encourage people not just to stay on the resort, like if you go somewhere in Mexico, they tell you, hey, don't, don't leave the resort. Or Jamaica, don't leave the resort. You know, your chances of getting killed are X. But, you know, here they encourage you to go to the upcountry to visit Waimea and the farmer's markets, to go up to the ranches at Kahua Ranch and just see where the culture and the history of this place has been and what makes the island so unique. And I think the golf resorts and the golf courses are, are a big part of that, too. No question. I mean, I just look at, like, uh, Matalani Senior Skin starting mm-hmm. back in 1990 to 2000, and they, they underwrote the Senior Skins themselves mm-hmm. because uh, the state wasn't involved putting money into golf being a reason people come to Hawaii. You know, right. it was beaches, sun, and sand. So uh, I always tell the story of uh, when the King Shop opened. I did all their PR in the early days, and that the only telephone between Kona and and Kauai High was the one at the Manalani Golf Clubhouse, and there was no gas station. So we all have our own little slice of history that we've been a, been a part of. You know, right. uh, the golf courses. When I got here, I really got involved writing about golf courses and doing PR with all the resorts because there weren't that many people that were doing PR for 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 golf and, and suggesting events right. and events to go on. But Waikoloa Beach Resort. I mean, master plan community. I love talking about that. When I talk with Scott Head, the VP of resort operations i i always tell them let's repeat it again it was a master plan community they've stuck to the plan uh it it is a a wonderful i mean there is going to be progress the whole idea is to to shape it in a way that reaches out to the local community and i think more than anything one of the things i always talk about with the resorts is that hey they have helped raise so much money for this community where government no longer can do it i mean Mm -hmm. the amount of money raised by the resorts look north hawaii community hospital was really founded and built yeah. by you know a whole a, a group of people from the resorts mainly from Manalani Resort when mm-hmm. it started but then it moved into the whole community and mm-hmm. the five mountain area and mm-hmm. so really nice things but you you're writing for the Napaka News now and you know you have a certain style that's really evident in in your writing 
uh, like you did one recently on the donkeys. Yeah. You know, where are the donkeys? You know, a question that we don't see there's many donkeys now. It's kind of a, a nice story, right? Because yeah. they've been rounded up and sent to other places and also a lot of them put up for adoption and everything. Yeah. But that's a piece of history right there that needs to be told and explained to people. Yeah. But in terms of the golf, what have you seen different in terms of how the resorts are, are marketing golf, not only to the visitors, but to the locals too? Mm. Well, golf, you know, on on the islands, like you just said, the the Hawaii Visitors Bureau and the Big Island Visitors Bureau, and they, they don't really market golf as a reason for people to come here. It's something people have the option to do while they're here. So I think that the resorts themselves have to see it as an amenity uh, that they can get people involved in in a family way because you're in Hawaii with your family, so you don't want to spend four hours, you know, while they're doing something at the hotel. You're leaving them to go play golf. They see it more, you know, where you can bring your kids out to play for free after 3 p.m., or they'll give you free clubs or, you know, whatever it might be to try to encourage that family aspect. And the same thing with the local communities, particularly in a shoulder season where there may not be as many rounds played by visitors. Uh, so they'll offer deals where the locals can come out and play. You know, they haven't gotten as much into other revenue sources as mainland courses have. Like on a lot of mainland courses now, you'll see them doing foot golf, you know, where they'll put a big hole out there and people will kick a ball on a golf course. And, you know, it's like, to me, it's not necessarily generating new golfers, but it's generating more revenue for the golf facilities to allow them to stay open and maintained properly. But the whole golf industry itself, uh, yesterday Nike announced that they would no longer be making golf clubs. And so Tiger and Rory McIlroy are going to have to find some new clubs to play. Uh, TaylorMade is on the, on the block for sale. Cutter and Buck's for sale. Adams Golf is for sale. You know, so many of the manufacturers are consolidating down to their most profitable profit or, or their most profitable lines of, of equipment, and there's too much out there. Uh, and they took an approach where, you know, even 15, 20 years ago, they started saying, well, you bought the Big Bertha, but next year you're going to have to buy the Great Big Bertha and the Great Bigger Bertha. And, you know, so is there something wrong with the one I bought last year? You know, so they started to go into it in a marketing approach that was just unsustainable, in my opinion, as did golf courses themselves. They were overbuilding uh, golf courses uh, for the number of players. And so when the number of players leveled off, so many of the courses had difficulty uh, gaining new players and new revenue. So I think golf is in a leveling off period right now. Uh, and luckily for us along this coast here, at least with the resorts, the courses are old enough so that the notes are pretty much paid off. And so they're not struggling under the, uh, you know, uh, under the burden of having to pay off a uh, $20 million, you know, construction bill anymore. 
So I think that they're able to go into specialty programs, uh, family programs, local programs, combine or rage, things like that, and really, you know, get rounds out here and encourage people to, to play the game. And I think they're doing a really nice job of that. They are. You know, 10, 10 years ago, because I've been doing a lot of PR with all the resorts for a long time, you wouldn't see the Kamaina rates like we have now. Right. And I think they're really understanding that. I mean, right. in fact, it was right here, the first nine-hole event we did, I created, it was called Golf and Dine. Yeah. Did it for Dolphin Days, I created that one. And people like, it was nine holes and they got to eat lunch at what is now yeah and and so all of those kind of things and and when i kind of advanced it was because i didn't really understand the mechanics of what the resorts were thinking but somewhere in there there's been sort of a blending of of how to how to be let it be a a destination golf courses for visitors and a place that uh, locals can also avail themselves of enjoying it's george fuller we're talking with george is the the owner of the flagship custom publishing they make beautiful um coffee table magazines but they're they're very unique to the to the destination del mar for los cabos mexico the biltmore is is a magazine is an official publication of arizona biltmore true for golf and travel but he's he's seen the how the golf industry has evolved and he's been a big part of it and he's, he's one of the few that's been able to maintain publishing first-rate magazines. I mean, there aren't that many. You know, you used to go into, like, a Huala Live Resort on their magazine rack, and there were a lot of them. I mean, you really see there's a lot less of them now. I mean, that are are being published. And and so, Landry, do you watch that kind of stuff, too, as far as you watching what's being published or when George is working on his magazines? Are you kind of... I guess you probably have a high regard for the quality of work that he does. I mean, what I see now is that you have your you you know all the aspects of it. You know the layout of the photographs, the 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 photoshopping, and whatever you have to do, all the different steps to make getting from you know going to someone and saying like you said Waikoloa is going to do a magazine mm-hmm. you know all the steps they're going to have to take mm-hmm. to publish a first rate magazine and there's nothing that can be more advantageous to a place like or someone like Scott had the VP of resort operations to know that he can work with one person who can bring the team together right. to to do that and i think those kind of publications are are, are really important and inherent in, in maintaining the history of these resorts because yeah. the, the nature of them is changing so much yeah. that the history and keeping that cultural part alive, they're all doing, I think they've, they've done wonderful signings. They're all doing better signage mm-hmm. at the resorts using the Hawaiian names. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're very vigilant about uh, maintaining that um, history. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, And, you know, even being able to go and find the people who were here in the early days while they're still with us. Uh, You know, Mauna Kea, 50 years old, you know, you had a few people that you wish you could have talked to who are no longer here. But uh, at Waikoloa, you know, I don't know if you remember, but the the airport across the street where the blue blue Hawaii is now. I'm seeing okay. one land. That used to be Princeville Airlines. That was the that was the original. Uh, the reason that they that they built that runway strip was Princeville Airlines was flying in here, 
And so, what years would that have been? Uh, early, probably seventies. Really? So, mm-hmm. were you in Hawaii at that time? Or? I got here in the eighties, uh, but you know, just doing research on these different uh-huh. things, I never you knew find that. out all these little facts. Yeah. You know, the reason that you don't see telephone lines up and down the highway from here to the airport is because Rockefeller refused to put them within a mile of the highway. He didn't want it to look like a bunch of junk out here. So, you know, that's what that's what you find the donkeys, you know, those nightingales. That was one of the most popular stories we've written and ran run with in Nopaka News because people see the donkey signs or maybe they've seen the donkeys if they were lucky. But uh, where did they come from? Well, I think I sent you an email because I had a couple of people on Facebook, people from Detroit area saying to me, hey, Emily, we were in Hawaii and saw those donkey songs. So I asked you for a copy of the the magazine so I could could post it. Yeah, those are... You know, those are important stories to tell. Yeah, and it's they the can only of the be place. told if there's a, a a vehicle for telling them, whether it's a hard copy yeah. newsletter right. or on Facebook or yeah. and all of those things. You know, so often the the people that are doing the the social media stuff, they aren't as as knowledgeable about the history. Yeah, and you know, so someone like or yourself, yeah, so someone like yourself that is bring that continuity. Yeah. And it's nice that you're back here in Hawaii and. And in those capacities, yeah. and being able to kind of be a link in that way. Small, a small uh, piece of the puzzle, but yeah, for sure, I, I love it. I've always loved history. Um, you know, as a writer, as a as a reader, as an editor, you know, getting the facts right, getting the history right, and understanding where something has come from, and why it is what it is today, is is a critical piece of the puzzle. So. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, it's George Fuller we're talking with, uh, the owner of Flagship Custom Publishing. We're out at the Waikoloa Beach Resort on the Kohala Coast. and It's a place where I spend a lot of my time. We happen to be at the My Grill right now, which is a, a wonderful uh, new restaurant. I think it's about a year and a half now they've been opened here. But I love practicing out here at Waikoloa Beach Resort. And we're talking about family days. When I drove in, there were a bunch of families out in the driving range. They have their family days that they used to only do in the summertime. But now they're uh, continuing it. They just keep continuing it, but 3.30 every afternoon, the families can, can play uh, nine holes, and it's $25 for the keiki with free rental clubs and right. $50 for the adult and yep. uh, $25 rental clubs. And what, what a nice thing that's been for families that can go do everything else, go to the beach and yep. zip lining, whatever they want to do, and they come in the afternoon. And you see a lot of families out here in the yep. late afternoon, so they can add golf to the mix. Yep. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, this is a very busy golf course, both the beach and the king's course so they're busy during the day with all the visitors and the homeowners and people up and down the coast but it's nice that they find ways that the twilight golf all kinds of ways that they and i i know that it's about increasing revenues but i think the resorts are all becoming more conscious about growing the game how can they help grow the game and and you can do that by creating experiences when people come to hawaii that are affordable yeah still allow you yeah. to get out on the golf course and out out in nature i mean on this golf course uh, alone you can see nenny the nenny goose you can see the golden plover you see goats out there you see you know all all different types of uh um, the different animals that uh, make the golf course their home and that's an important part of the island, too, is being able to, to provide an environment in which the wildlife can live. So, you know, and this, this resort particularly, I think, has evolved 
in a really nice way over the last 15, 20 years. Used to be sort of, you know, it was, um, you had the Monolanis and the Monakeas and sort of the older sort of hotels that were up on that plateau, if you will. And this one was sort of the uh, the newcomer, you know. It was uh, the the Hyatt, you know, and and it was a new brand. And you know, people criticized Chris Hemeter when he first built it and said, "Oh, it's the Disneyland of Hawaii." And Chris's response was always, "I wish it was." You know, <laughs> look how successful they've been. But you know, even with all of that, with the Dolphin program down there and all that, but Waikoloa has elevated its game. Now with the food and wine festival, with the two courses, with all the hotel programs, with all the different timeshare elements that are going up around here, uh, the movie nights, the family programming, the shopping centers, you every, don't get that. Every day at the, Queen's, uh, at the Queen's Marketplace, there's some kind of entertainment going yeah. on, whether it's the hula halals or, as you say, the movies. Or, yeah. or last night, one of the, a corporate group had a wonderful concert at the Queen's Bowl. I guess it was Willie Kay, but the lawn was just set up beautifully. The, the furniture they had set up for... Yeah. You know, so the kind of things that go on are, are pretty phenomenal. And yeah. the master plan community, it is a community. There's several, you know, I think about 300 homeowners. And, yeah. and, uh, and it's just been a wonderful watching it evolve. I've been so oh, involved right. with Wyclow Beach Resort I for know. so many years. That it's really elevated its status in the last few years, and it's become a real treasure for this island. Yeah, yeah. No, they. I really have great admiration for how they've stuck to their plan. Yeah. And they've they found their own little niche. And that's what I tell people. Go check out each resort, each one. Is so different yeah. that it's really important to take to, to be aware of them. Yeah. It's the Emily T. Gale Show here on ESPN Hawaii.com. You can also get the shows on uh, iTunes free podcast and on my Facebook page, Emily T. Gale. And you know, I just wanted to mention I saw that you um, in one of the books you wrote, you mentioned somebody that made a, a testimonial to it was Craig T. Nelson. Oh, Craig. Craig is a friend of mine too. Is I've been he, over there. I stayed over at their place in Kauai and yeah. with Ian Doria and, and played golf with them. And you know, when you think of how many different, I guess quote unquote celebrities you know love to be in Hawaii and play yeah. golf and and things like that. And we've we've all been very privileged living in Hawaii, getting yeah. to kind of cross the paths of of people like that. It's amazing, so, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of that and. They're just regular guys when they're on the golf course, aren't they? Absolutely. You know, it's like we can all make bogeys just like you. Yeah, so that was fun to see that he had, had read your book and, and given a, a testimonial to it. Well, George, you know, I, I hope we uh, do this more often and just kind of keep an update of what's going on up and down the coast because yeah, you seem to real tapped in again. How long have you and Landry been living back here now? Oh, five years now we really? got back over here. Okay. So I was on Honolulu. I was in Hawaii for probably eight to ten years uh-huh. and then back and forth to the mainland down in guam for a year back in hilton head and every time you uh, were at those other places were you missing hawaii oh yeah absolutely that's always been a clause in my employment contract is the guy gets two weeks off to go to hawaii every year because i ran into someone yesterday and i looked at him and I, said, I thought you guys moved and he said we did but we came back yeah. <laughs> you know eight years they were away and we find it all the time so we're so blessed and landry had you ever made trips to hawaii before you yeah. and george moved here in high school uh we came for the first time and then when i worked for the ritz Carlton Hotel Company uh, back in the early 90s came to the Ritz-Carlton Kapalua soon after it opened with my dad on a trip and then I uh, was representing Baywatch in its final year when it was shooting out of uh, the uh, Hilton Hawaiian Village Village. 
So came to Oahu that year, and then... You know, there's a piece of history I had forgotten about, Baywatch, because it used to be down in Malibu. Yes. It was down in front of the Malibu yes. Inn, I think. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Because and, and, I used to go watch them, you know, down there. I used to always eat at the Malibu Inn. And, mm-hmm. So they, I forgot they did that at Hilton Hawaiian Village. It was its final season, yes. And then, um, yeah, as soon as I met George, we would come back at least once a year to different islands, uh-huh. and it just was a tradition. So we decided, you know, mid mid 2005 or so let's start to make a five-year plan when we can come here and make it our you know primary residence and um yeah we we did that even sooner and you're both such a big part of the community again of course george has been in the past but you're both such a big part of the community of course as they say the best way to predict your future is to create it right you know quick funny story so when we decided to move out here you know, I have this publishing company, and, and my clients are, like you said, Arizona, Mexico, Florida, all over the mainland, and a couple out here. But I thought, I wonder how it's going to affect my business to be based in Hawaii. You know, I'm up in Waimea, and, and it turned out, and this is just, I think, encouragement for anybody else who wants to do it, but the people that I work with are so happy to hear from me because they think you're living the good life, you dog you, you know, and they'll, but they'll take your call and they'll, they'll go, hey, how's it hanging out in the hammock over there, you know, with your feet up on the, you know, palm tree. And, and you play into that, but it's like it's aloha that has infiltrated your entire being. And it and it radiates out through the no internet, question. through the phone yeah. lines, and I, it, it's actually my business has, has flourished. I do a lot in Detroit with mm-hmm. my Say Nice Things About Detroit uh, movement. I started in 1975. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's still in the hearts of people, and many of the and so we're we're doing it full full tilt. I always felt you know Michigan is. Um, one of the there's more golf played per capita in Michigan yeah. than any other state in the country, and I've always felt that the resorts on the Big Island just kind of, you know they should be doing a little <laughs> more marketing in Michigan. I've had things like Mauna Kea, you know, a weekend at the Michigan Golf Show, mm. things like that. Mm-hmm. I've always had writers that came for the the Writers Cup that mm-hmm. I helped right. Joe Root create, came up with that idea and we advanced that, that to him. Uh, yeah, I mean I thought it was a great idea when I gave it to him originally. Still is a good idea. So um, yeah, it's it's fun to connect the two. I mean, it, everybody loves thinking about Hawaii and coming to Hawaii, but I also spend a lot of time talking about how people think it's paradise, but, you know, it, we all have the same sociological issues, whether it's Detroit or Monterey or Hawaii or where, you, you know, homelessness, development, underdevelopment or overdevelopment, um, mm. crime. There's all the different things that are sociological issues. It doesn't matter how much the sun shines or whatever. Mm. And I like talking about those, you know, and, mm-hmm. and how we all have to work on them in, in the work that we do every day in some some manner. Because it's easy to think you're living in Hawaii and there are no hardships for people. Well, there's a whole lot of people that have a lot right. of hardships here. You've done some nice stories on, and, and just covering people that have, you know, been supportive. Let's just say like the halaos, the, the heyaos, like the, the story you wrote today. You, what was that about the, the, the uh, up in Kauai High? Right, yeah. right. Well, I, I'm the editor, so I assigned that story to one of the okay. longtime residents here um, to write that. Yeah. But I think what it, what's nice about it is it kind of it shows that there's there's a the whole how hard it is to maintain the history of a place, but also maintain the present day living standards 
are the same challenges in every community. You know, here, I always talk about how, um, you know, was who is going to run the beaches here, mm-hmm. Habuna Beach, the state or the county. In Detroit, it's the same issue with the mm-hmm. parks. Who's going to run them, the city or the state? Mm-hmm. Who can maintain them better? Who has the money to do it? Right. Who has the, the desire to do it? So I like weaving that part into yeah. it, that it isn't just uh, golf and beaches and sun and surf, you know, yeah. that we're all integral parts of our community when yeah. we're out marketing and, and doing PR and yeah. talking about all the good things that go on as well. So, yeah. so George, last thoughts to our listeners, just in, in general about, uh, and we'll stay in touch. I hope we do uh, this. Absolutely. My only question is, what does the T stand for in Emily T. Gale? It stands for Trowbridge, is my middle name. Say that again? Trowbridge. Trowbridge. T-R-O-W-B-R-I-D-G-E. And I'm just finding wow. out a lot about my family history that I wasn't paying attention to when I was growing up. That sounds Scottish. It, and it's English. and, and uh, English. English. Okay. And I uh, found out that you know, a relative of mine was the mayor of Detroit at one time. And a lot of history there that I'm really learning. I've created my own history in Detroit, which is fun. 40 years later that people remember it so much and are embracing it. But... Uh, it's it's fun. Life is life is good, isn't it? It's when, good. You know you when we like that. when we can look at our backstory, the ups and downs, and you know we've all had them, right? Yep. No, <laughs> and no I'm grateful for my 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 difficult times because I'm just so grateful for my, my good times now because I can put them in perspective. Yeah. Would no. you say the same as it's, yourself? It's the it's the good thing about getting a little older is you get more perspective for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, fun to meet up with yeah, you and get a chance so to catch up and just have nothing but nice things to say about the quality of your work and it's really reflective in that that Mauna Kea anniversary book you did and the Napaka News that you're publishing and and it is a style you know and uh, now I get I've noticed that the stories have been a little longer in Napaka News now I get it is that you like that you like that long read I like that terminology I do too Landry, last thoughts to our listeners, uh, just, you know, encouraging people to enjoy the, the West Hawaii Today and North Hawaii News, which is really part of the Honolulu, uh, the Star Advertiser now, too. And I think that's a wonderful uh, thing, that, that, that continuity of the islands. You know, it used to be where they were totally separate, right? You never heard anything about the outer islands. Right. Remember those days? Mm-hmm. So how long have you been the editor now? Almost two years. Two years. Okay. Well, it's so fun to meet you after talking and, you know, reading your work over the last couple of years and reading the work of the many writers that you have. I mean, I love uh, Kathy Tarleton's one of my favorite writers. Got to put a little plug in for her book called uh, Potlucks, which is one of my favorite books. Anybody who's ever been to a potluck in Hawaii, in fact, I'm taking a couple of issues with me to Detroit. I always give it to Detroit writers who want to retire in Hawaii, you know, (laughs) tell them you got to read this book and read Potlucks. So. So uh, look forward to staying in touch, George. Yeah, thank you so much okay. for having us on. It's the Emily T. Gale Show here on ESPNHawaii.com, and we all say aloha. aloha. <laughs> well, George and I had talked about uh, talking about the Olympics and uh, his his feelings about uh, amateur golfers, that he feels they, he's a real advocate of the amateur golfers being the sports representatives. But we're going to save that conversation for later after the Olympics. And what else are we going to talk about? Oh, the just sort of overview of all the PGA Tours and, and women's golf. So we'll save all that for later. And I'm just really glad to have a chance to find out more about George's background and Landry's because... I always like to share stories like that. I was a, I flunked out of college, so I'm someone who's kind of pulled, you know, had my life has evolved, and I didn't have like what I was going to do. 
I went from a National Honor Society member to really struggled in college. And so my life has been a lot of the same way. George, though, he's always had such quality to his work. And and uh, he's just had a lot of experiences. You know, years ago, people would say, oh, that person moves around a lot. I could just hear my father saying that, where I always like, wow, uh, Dad, that's what you do. You have three or four things you do. Well, kudos to George. It's great to see him back in Hawaii and adding his touch. And Landry's, uh, what a wonderful job with North Hawaii News. And uh, we all, you know, being mutually supportive is, is only good for everyone. And North Hawaii News, they have a section called Northern Lights. Like West Hawaii Today has short hops that I'm always talking about. You can send in your... A little bit of information about an event you're going on to short hop sports at West Hawaii today, and and Landry has a section called Northern Lights, but they they cover it all, you know, helping people out with the events they have going on. And so uh, while our conversation took a whole different turn of what I like, and I for I have a, quite a few. I, I mean, not like handfuls, but I get students and parents asking me, you know, how did, can I John wants to be a writer, and I'm always saying, you know, just there's they can send it in the local newspaper, they can they can find a magazine they like. There's so many ways to do it other than the ways everybody kind of grows up thinking it happens. So um, it's nice to share a story like George's and Landry's, and, and as well Landry's story of becoming editor here in Hawaii and, and putting her contributions to the community. So I really enjoyed the talk story with George and Landry and to be continued, I'm sure. And I was yesterday, what a contrast. I drove down to um, a Kunitake Estate Farms, my good friend Chick Kunitake and, and Dinah and Earl and Helen. And there's, oh, there's 13 in the family, but they've been longtime friends of mine. Uh, ever since I came to do the first Iron Man was when I met the uh, Kurataki family back in 1981. Came from Detroit. And uh, so the longtime sponsors of the Emily T. Gale show. So I went down to get some coffee to take to Detroit next week. I always take it for different people in the media and friends and to Helen, uh, Ellen Hillsrang, the VP of marketing at the Jai Tigers. She's always so hospitable and and they really, they love it. It's really a nice touch. So anyway, I went down to Kunitake State Farms and spent about an hour with Chip. We walked down to the mill and got some coffee. They've been on their land like 97 years, the family. Everything's done by hand. You know, we went in where they package it, Earl does, and Helen. And I just, I just thought of the contrast of the day before of George and Landry and I sitting up at the My Grill Alan Hess's My Grill at Waikoloa Beach Resort, and then not that many miles away, being able to be in such a wonderful local culture of our coffee community. And I've always loved that part about living in Hawaii is the, the total contrast. And I get a lot of that in Detroit, too. I'll be going next week and be out at Oakland Hills for the U.S. Amateur, which is pretty, you know, Oakland Hills is pretty nice uh, country club, many, many major tournaments held there, and Ryder Cups, and and then uh, each night afterwards and after the event's over, I'll be spending a, a, most of my time in Detroit. And uh, what a contrast. But I love that about life. And uh, I love that about sports, too. You can, you know, you can be really watching, like, the Olympics. And then at the same time, like I'm about to go do, go take a, our own runs up in the, the, the place we like to take a run. So um, Grateful for my supporters of the Emily T. Gale Show, Waikoloa Beach Resort, longtime beach support, uh, longtime supporter of the Emily T. Gale Show. 
um, bike works. Wow, yesterday, so I was driving down into town. I, I kind of timed it when the uh, Sea to Stars uh, bicycle race put on by Hawaii Cycling Club presented by Bike Works uh, was starting down at the Waikoloa Road Junction, and then it went up to the Mauna Kea Visitor uh, Information Center. And uh, as always, Hawaii Cycling Club, you know, a lot of good volunteers and uh, you, they were, you could tell they were organized, and the, the whole pack was just starting out, coming around the corner on Waikoloa Road, and they headed up the, up the hill for, I think, like a 48-mile race. My hand's on the sports section this morning. Who won? The gentleman that won was very stoked. He was from somewhere else, and he stayed uh, Ray Brust. And uh, he was over at Wahoo. I think he was from Australia or something. And he was in Oahu, so he came over for the day. And he said it was the hardest thing he's ever done. And he said he's raced about a 1,000 races. And uh, congratulations to um, Malik Mariano, who works at Bike Works, sponsored by Bike Works, high school student. I love his story. Uh, he's been a guest on the show. He loves soccer, but when he got cut from the soccer team, he joined the triathlon club. Then he didn't you know, really like running and swimming, but he liked cycling, and he stuck with it. And in like, a few short years, he's already been doing national events on the mainland. And he did this race, and he was really stoked. I, I think he was second. Well, I don't know. But anyway, he was stoked. So uh, Bike Works Beach and Sport, longtime friends and supporters of the Emily T. Gale show and, and uh, big supporters of the Daniel Sayre Foundation. Their annual dinner is coming up at the Fairmont Orchid on September 3rd. So keep that in mind. It's a wonderful event celebrating firemen that have gone beyond the duty, call of duty, and uh, raising funds for the Daniel Sayre Foundation. Uh, it was created 19 years ago by Frank and Laura Sayre, my good friends, dentists, Detroiter, fellow Detroiter. Um, just thinking, I went and looked where his grandparents used to live. Last time I was in Detroit, he gave me the address. Anyway, Frank and Laura lost their son to a hiking accident in Po'olu Valley, and they saw how much the, the rescue team had to, you know, really improvise and risk their lives to recover Daniel's body, and they vowed that day they were, were going to raise money to provide the equipment that the Hawaii County Fire Department needs and the rescue squad, and so they've really gotten tr tremendous support throughout the whole community and well over a million dollars over the years, and Every year they have this, there's one event, it's year-round fundraising, but this event, very well attended, probably four or 500 people. People love it. They have a great silent auction. The dinner's great. The presentation is beautiful. They have videos that kind of document the rescues or whatever it was the firemen did that are honored and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in a really enthusiastic, positive way, I say that, <laughs> blah, 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 because there's so much and so many nice things I could say about the Daniel Sayre Foundation. So September 3rd, keep your eye on um, participating in that. And uh, thanks to uh, Robert at 808 Computers. Uh, just today I did something that I wouldn't have done a year and a half ago or two years ago without Robert kind of being on my heels. It has to do with backing up more often and in a different way. So thank you, Robert. And, uh, of course, Waiaha River Coffee, the whole Kuanataki Ohana. You pick up their coffee at uh, Dinah's in Hilo'oloa, right next to Paul's place. In fact, I learned yesterday because Chick donates coffee to all the firemen that uh, when the uh, that are honored at the Daniel Sayre Foundation. So we always take a, a pound of coffee for every fireman um, on behalf of the Kuanataki Ohana and Chick. And he told me yesterday that uh, one of Paul's brothers from Paul's up in Hilo'oloa is going to be honored this year. So our sweet little community, all kinds of 
the ways that we all weave our lives together. Uh, it's the Emily T. Gale Show here on ESPNHawaii.com. Also, thanks to um, uh, Big Island Visitor Magazine, Kaola Magazine, and all everybody else that's supportive, including folks at ESPN Radio, and I uh, really appreciate being part of the family. You can get our shows at ESPNHawaii.com under the lineup tab, along with Mike and Mike in the Morning, and all some of those other shows are available. Also on uh, iTunes and at the Emily T. Gale Facebook page. And thanks very much, everybody, for your nice comments. And uh, whether you're listening or reading about the show, it's it's nice for you to realize that it's really out there sharing about the community here and in Detroit. I love connecting the two. It's the Emily T. Gale Show here on ESPNHawaii.com. <laughs>